In December, the Hochul administration announced an update to its food product recall book, which outlines the protocol for food stores, manufacturers, and businesses to follow if they need to initiate a product recall. To discuss the updated food recall book, as well as changes to the food safety alert process for consumers, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Jennifer Trodden, a deputy commissioner with the State Department of Ag and Markets, where she oversees the divisions on food safety inspection, milk control, and Dairy Services and the State Food Laboratory. Welcome back to the show, Deputy Commissioner. Thank you for having me, David. So it's my understanding that the food recall book published by your department includes a food recall process flowchart as well as other nuggets for businesses in the food industry to use. So how do you envision this book being utilized? So that's a great question. We actually updated the department's food product recall book to provide uh, retailers, food store retailers, food manufacturers, food businesses and the like with an easy to follow protocol that they would use if they needed to initiate a product recall at their facility. As you know, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the department both issue recalls or consumer alerts, as we commonly call them, about potentially harmful food products affecting New York State's marketplace. So having this resource readily available for businesses to use is critically important because the last thing a business wants to do in the middle of a recall is to try and figure this out for themselves for the first time. So we really issued this booklet to create more transparency about what the state is doing to keep our food supply safe. Um, Our divisions of food safety and inspection and milk control and dairy services initiate approximately 300 class one and class two recalls annually. And most of those recalls begin with an observation by a food inspector or food product specialist um, as a result of some observations that they make in the field. And then they send those products to the food lab for testing and confirmation of any issues related to adulteration or misbranding. So this revision is really is a step-by-step guide for food businesses across the state to know what to do in the case of a recall. And we really wanted to issue that to add that layer of transparency, not only to assist them, but to also assist consumers to understand exactly what we are doing as the state to protect the food supply. You describe it as a step-by-step booklet, but it seems like there has to be some variation depending on on the circumstances. Can it go A to, to Z in terms of steps or does there need to be some sort of flexibility in this? It's a pretty prescriptive plan with regard to the steps. So it is a step-by-step guide. Um, Really, each one of those steps has to be performed by each type of business. Uh, There are some businesses, there might be some variation with the steps that would be performed. So for a retailer, for an example, the steps that they would perform would be right to the consumer and backward to the distribution center. Whereas if you're a food manufacturer, you can imagine the number of steps are probably a little bit more complicated because you have to follow the food right from when it came in as an ingredient, right through their processing plant, and right to the consumer, so multiple steps along the way. But generally, the intent and the expectation is generally the same. The book includes a a press release template, I think actually multiple templates, as well as an email address to send notifications about a recall to the Associated Press in both Albany and New York City. What is the media outreach supposed to be like and is the responsibility on the business or does the state shoulder some of that responsibility? 
That is also a great question. So it's kind of a combination of both. So if a company has the wherewithal and the ability to notify the press, the first expectation is for them to voluntarily initiate the recall and notify the press themselves. Where the department comes in is if the in the event that a company cannot do or perform those steps by themselves, we will perform those steps on their behalf. What's new and unique about the change that we're initiating here is with regard to our notification regarding both class one and class two recalls. So in the past, we would only issue um, a press release or work with a company to require a press release to be conducted on a class one recall. Now we are taking on that additional extra step to be a little bit more transparent in what we do to protect our food supply by publicly announcing uh, when we initiate a class to recall. And the intent is to broadly announce that across the state so that small pockets of the state that could have been affected by this product is now aware if they have purchased the product in another part of the state or have moved that food with you so that the folks then would have received that same message, whether it's upstate or downstate. So it's really a a definite progressive change uh, with that communication and that look and feel of what we're trying to do in the future. Well, what's the difference then between a, a class one or a class two recall? So the big difference is immediate threat to public health is a class one and a class two is not an immediate threat, but something that could have a chronic effect on a person. So a class one typically is released when we have bacteriological contamination, where it will immediately cause somebody to be sick, uh, like you could see with E. coli and leafy greens, for an example. And then for more of a chronic effect, we commonly see uh, something like heavy metals in spices, for an example, has been a common one, as well as high levels of sulfites in dried fruit. That is pretty common as well as a class two. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining the Capitol Press Room. We're talking about food safety and inspections with Jennifer Trodden, a deputy commissioner with the State Department of Agriculture and Markets, which has published updates to its food product recall book. And as we discussed last time, I think you oversee uh, about 30,000 food stores, manufacturers, and businesses. So how do you ensure that they all have a copy of this book? Also a great question, David. So that, as you can imagine, is an overwhelming task to try and make sure that we have touched everybody that is affected by some of the uh, changes that we're making. So we created a couple of years ago during COVID a listserv, um, and the listserv it comprises of all of the facilities that we either license, register, or inspect. And it is a way to be able to directly communicate with all of those that are affected by these types of changes. In addition to that, when we made the update or the announcement about this booklet. We also had a conversation and several conversations and meetings with several of the associations that represent these food businesses. We hosted webinars with those associations, and then we also shared the booklet directly with them so that they could include it in their newsletters or directly to the members that they have as part of their membership. And then also media outlets like yourself, right? Getting additional attention for your efforts certainly helps helps to get the word out so that, again, sending that message out more broadly is really what our intention is here. So thank you for that, David. 
Well, I mentioned that you oversee more than 30,000 businesses in the food industry space, and this is a number that keeps going up. Uh, according to a 1999 audit, the number was about 28,000. So as more and more businesses open, how do you stay on top of them to ensure that they're not just getting this book, but that they're also subject to inspections? Do they have to notify the Department of Ag and Markets, or is there some other sort of process that allows you to catch all of them? Uh, yes, we do uh, communicate um, on an ongoing basis. So each one of these businesses is licensed by us. So that's a means of communication. Once they're licensed, then it initiates a first inspection. Once the inspection is done and they pass their inspection, they're essentially given the license to operate as a food establishment in the state. If in the event that they're unaware of these requirements, um, our food inspectors are out there doing their regular inspections, come across these different facilities, and they will check the database that has all of these licensed entities listed in it to verify whether they're licensed. And if they find out that they're not licensed, They approach them with a copy of the license application and ask them to complete it. And then they guide them through the process and uh, then circle back to do the inspection once they submit the the license application. We also hold those that uh, may not be licensed and uh, have not become licensed by us. We hold them accountable through a compliance process that is through our council's office to ensure, again, with the goal of uh, making sure that these folks are following not only the license process, but uh, food safety, uh, the food safety inspection process and uh, the regulations that associated with that process. Well, in terms of your capacity to do all of this work, the governor recently released her executive budget proposal. And I'm curious what that does for your staffing levels moving forward for the coming fiscal year. For example, how many inspector positions do you anticipate you'll be able to fill compared to what you have right now? So the budget process, thankfully, doesn't affect our uh, fill level as it relates to health and safety positions and our food inspectors, as well as the support staff and our lab technicians and our lab analysts are all considered health and safety positions. So we are always very heavily supported by the administration, either the Hochul administration or those in the past to make sure that we have adequate resources to ensure that we are doing what we need to do to keep our food supply safe. So we're in a pretty unique position to be able to say that. So as folks leave through retirement or attrition, then we initiate the process of of backfilling them. And um, we're really excited to continue to see that support, you know, now and in the future. So then how do your staffing levels now compare to the levels recommended by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration? So at this juncture, I'm not 100% aware of what the FDA currently requires, uh, but we have worked pretty hard over the last several years to make sure that we have the fill that's required to be able to do the number of inspections that's required. And the way that we approach inspections is that we use a risk-based approach. So depending on what the business is actually doing, will dictate based on science how often we should inspect the facility. Uh, using that approach, approach allows us to be able to have like almost a sliding scale of sorts to be able to focus on high risk food areas uh, and uh, less often focus on the lower risk food areas, which means that the higher risk are um, inspected more frequently and the lower risk less frequently.
And we continue to kind of shift and change that model just based on whatever science is available or any changes in the marketplace. If a new type of food is on the marketplace that commonly did not have contamination associated with it, that kind of lets, gets kind of put to the top of the list, so to speak, so that we now are, are have a renewed focus or a renewed interest in it. But we usually use data to support all of the changes that we make, either from a policy perspective or from a scientific perspective, so that we're well informed before we make any of those changes. Well, the most recent staffing level recommendation that I could find was from a 2015 audit by the Comptroller's Office, which said that the number of inspectors recommended by the U.S. FDA was 82. So in 2024, do we have 82 inspectors uh, under your watch? We do, thankfully. So uh, we are grateful for the comptroller to have done uh, that audit and all of their efforts that they do on an ongoing basis, because it really helps us kind of take a step back and make sure that we have the resources that are necessary to be able to do our job and do it very well. So yes, we have well over 82. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's well over 82. Well, unfortunately, that's uh, all the time we have today. We've been speaking with Jennifer Trotten. They're a deputy commissioner with the State Department of Ag and Markets, where she oversees the divisions on food safety inspection, milk control and dairy services, and the State Food Laboratory. Jennifer, thank you again so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, David. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.